Hey, before we get started, Jay and I just wanted to say thank you. We started doing this little show because we thought it was fun without any expectation of who would listen and if they'd actually enjoy it. And Jay, uh, three years in, I think it is, uh, we still think it's fun, and we've doubled our listeners since last year, up to nearly 500 per episode, and still growing each week. So uh, for a little independent show like us, it's really cool and really rewarding. Yeah, I mean, it's always been the little show that could, and we have always enjoyed doing it, and have not done it for any other reason other than just enjoying bringing these conversation topics to other people. So another year and hopefully we continue to see more growth and um, no matter what, we'll keep making the show because it's something that we love to do. But the fact that other people want to join in with us just makes it all the better. Yeah, we like it and uh, we're glad that a lot of you all do too. But that's it. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts truly for listening and we hope you'll stick around and maybe tell a few other people about it as well so they can come and listen. Let's make 2024 the best year and the best year of commute yet. You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute the Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, litter is everywhere, from the sides of roadways to our oceans. We're just not great at getting rid of trash. But we're starting to litter in a new place, outer space. You may have heard that beginning in 2024, Mickey Mouse has entered the public domain and can now be used by artists and creatives. Well, not so fast. It's a little more complicated than that. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. (laughs) Whether you think Christopher Columbus was the first to discover America or not, he may have been the first to bring a certain something to America. Earthworms. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, first of all, Happy New Year to you, my friend. Hey, to you as you well. You and your family. Yeah, you and your family were over at our house for New Year's Eve. And of course, in keeping in line with our current stage of life, we had a fake kids ball drop at about 7, and you all were swiftly out the door by 7.30. So perfect. Yeah. Exactly uh, the way we, we dreamt it up to be. It was a big hit. You know, the kids uh, rang in the new year, and then it popped up 2022, and we just <laughs> pretended like it didn't say that. <laughs> we just kept rolling, baby. So our first show in 2024, excited to be back at it. I feel refreshed and renewed. That's all you can really ask for heading into a new year. But Jay, enough New Year's blabbering, which by the way, what's the cutoff on wishing somebody a happy new year? Like you see them at work and you're like, hey, happy new year. And they say it back to you. Like, is it is it now? Is it mid-January? It's definitely not (laughs) mid-January. I mean, it's like way (laughs) too late. Is it too late? Is February criminal? Is that criminal if you say, hey, happy new year in February? Yeah, I mean, we record this a few days before it comes out. Right now it's January 3rd and I feel like it's already too late. I think you could Maybe go to the tenth, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're right. That's that's getting a little crazy. But but Jay, uh, New Year's talk aside, how do you feel about litter? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'd hope at least you're moderately against it. 
But where do you fall between guy who walks the interstate picking up trash and guy who dumps his trash in the woods? Yeah, squarely anti-litter. Uh, <laughs> the very not very controversial. <laughs> yeah, on the record, I am anti-litter. Just want everyone to know I'm against pollution. Um, you know, I did take up recycling actually uh, over the past year, which I know you have strong feelings about because you think it I doesn't do. actually. We'll, we'll do talk anything. about that on the show one day. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'm like the only one in my house that recycles. Like I take the garbage out, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, this thing's full of cans and and paper boxes, and it like makes me mad because you know I feel like I'm fighting a, a battle all alone. Well, like I said, we'll talk more later. But recycling doesn't really do anything. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Jay, littering, and I'm glad you take it seriously, is everywhere. Whether it be a soda can in the grass outside your house or a candy wrapper that just fell out of your trash can on pickup day, our world is full of garbage. But what about beyond the borders of our world? This week, we discussed the current efforts to clean up outer space. Jay, in late 2021, three separate incidents occurred where space missions were altered, delayed, or canceled altogether due to the possible threat of space debris. And we're not talking a satellite coming to pass that accidentally gets too close to an astronaut. We're talking space trash. Even since the earliest days of man's visits to outer space, there has been more space junk orbiting the Earth than satellites. And at first, nobody really seemed to care. I mean, Earth is big and all, but space? Endless. But Jay, the sheer volume of trash has risen quite a lot over the past six decades. The military, space agencies, private individuals or companies, they all launch things into space all the time, meaning the Earth's orbit isn't quite the empty void that it once was. And all in all, Jay, more than 8,000 tons of space junk are estimated to now circle our planet. 8,000 tons. I think it's fair to say that space is becoming congested. Wing Commander Tom College, the station commander at RAF Filingdales, told The Guardian. And Filingdales, well, it's part of a growing effort to clean up space and keep it safe. Filingdales is part of the U.S. Space Surveillance Network, a network that monitors about 30,000 items of space junk larger than 10 centimeters. The network keeps an eye out to issue warnings when objects might collide, but it's not even close to adequate. There are more than 100 million pieces, traveling at around 15,000 miles per hour, by the way, that are too small to track and yet capable of causing major damage. And warnings are issued all the time. For example, the UK Space Agency receives nearly 3,000 alerts per month, with all of them assessed and acted upon if necessary. And if action is taken, like moving a satellite, for example, it's costly. It's expensive, can shorten the life of the satellite, and can actually move it back into harm's way again. And so faced with this growing space litter problem, space agencies are trying to do what they can to clean it up. Guidelines published by the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs, how about working there, laid out how nations and companies should operate in space. For example, retired satellites should be removed from orbit and brought back to Earth for disposal within 25 years of end of life. But while some folks follow this, others still leave old satellites in space, where they aimlessly drift forever. Holger Krag, the head of the European Space Agency, likens the guidelines to that of a national park. If you brought it in, you should probably take it back when you leave. Every year, dozens of objects are left behind that could have been disposed with their own means, Craig told The Guardian. 
But that's not happening because of the lack of technology and the lack of policy. It's like plastic in the oceans. Would you start cleaning up the old stuff while every year people add more? No, you concentrate on stopping them adding more. We need to do the same with debris in space. So Jay, I know you and I feel differently about our future as the human race living in space, but just imagine the cigarette butts out there if we ever do. (laughs) Well, you are on record on this very podcast asking the question, why can we not just shoot our crash into space? So, you know, is that true? You went on this huge rant about, like, why can't we just shoot it in space? What's the big deal? It's just an endless void. And I think I retaliated with, well, people in the 1500s probably thought they could do that with the ocean, and look look where that would have got them. And uh, you didn't like that answer. So, well, two things. One, sometimes the the person you have to blame lives in the mirror. (laughs) Uh, Number two, I mean, this segment aside, it kind of makes sense. We don't really need to go to space. Is there anything for us in space, really? Yeah, you just don't have that explorer's mindset. You don't know until you look. So, Dave, a few months ago, we did a segment on this show about how an early version of Winnie the Pooh had made it into the public domain. And we talked about how that ultimately led to a slasher horror movie called Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which, by the way, ended up being very successful at the box office, made several million dollars, kind of like a cult classic. Today, we're going to talk about something similar. But first, I was going to ask you if you've heard about it. Uh, did you hear about Mickey Mouse making his way into the public domain? Yeah, but if you going back to Winnie the Pooh for a second, can you really <laughs> I know call it that, you. <laughs> can you really call that a success? I mean, I think this is a classic gain the world but lose your soul kind of situation <laughs> uh, you know money hey, the, money comes money and goes lie. money comes and goes money comes and goes man your soul is forever uh <laughs> yes i have heard about this mickey mouse thing and i'm very concerned about it to be honest with you so i'm i'm looking forward to this uh this segment well, you're gonna love this uh now it is important first before we get too deep into it to realize that when we're talking about mickey mouse here we're not talking about the mickey mouse like we're not talking about the who you picture when you think about mickey mouse we're talking about the very earliest iteration of mickey mouse which is a character called steamboat willie all right, and that's that's a very important distinction because Steamboat Willie and Mickey Mouse are two different characters. So, Dave, for those who may not be familiar, Steamboat Willie is an animated short film created by Walt Disney. It first made its debut in 1928 and introduced the world to Mickey Mouse, a character who would go on to obviously become an entertainment phenomenon. So how did Steamboat Willie find its way into the public domain? That's a question we're going to be attempting to answer. So to understand this, we have to go back to the early days of copyright law. Initially, copyright protection in the United States lasted for 14 years, with the possibility of renewal for another 14 years. But Dave, over the years, the duration of copyright protection has been extended multiple times, largely due to the lobbying efforts of major corporations, including Disney. In fact, Disney has played a pretty significant role in shaping copyright law in the United States. The company has fought to keep its copyright of this specific Mickey Mouse character as long as possible, lobbying the U.S. government to extend copyright protection before it was originally set to expire in 1984. Many lawmakers agreed, and then in 1976, the law was changed to allow owners to retain copyright protections for the duration of the life of the author 
plus an additional 50 years. So then in 1998, Disney once again successfully lobbied along with other entertainment companies to extend the copyright protections to life of the author plus 70 years for a maximum of 95 years in an act often jokingly referred to as the Mickey Mouse Protection Act. Now fast forward to 2024 and Steamboat Willie has finally passed that threshold and entered the public domain. This marks a turning point and raises important questions about the public domain, which is essentially this shared cultural heritage that is now free from copyright restrictions. The public domain is interesting, Dave, I think for several reasons. It really allows for the unrestricted use and adaptation and remixing of creative works. When works enter the public domain, they become part of the collective culture and everyone has the freedom to use and enjoy them without fear of legal repercussions in theory. So then that implies some implications of Steamboat Willie entering the public domain. With the expiration of copyright protection, Technically, creators are free to use and reimagine this classic animation in new ways. But the important thing to remember here, Dave, is that only the Steamboat Willie iteration of Mickey Mouse is public domain. So any attempt to use any other iteration of Mickey is not going to fly. There are concerns here about the legal future of it all. Will Disney, known for vigorously protecting its intellectual property, take legal action against those who use Steamboat Willie in ways they deem inappropriate or damaging to the overall brand? The legal landscape surrounding the public domain can be really complex, and the boundaries of fair use, it's going to be tested probably in the coming years. The court system is probably going to find itself splitting hairs over what is Steamboat Willie Mickey and what is not. And if you thought maybe creatives would just steer clear, well, you'd be sadly mistaken. Within literal hours of Steamboat Willie entering the public domain, three separate projects were announced featuring the character, all of them horror slasher films and video games in which the Steamboat Willie character is a crazed killer, much akin to the aforementioned Winnie the Pooh film that we discussed at the top of this segment. And so while the future is murky here, Dave, it is undeniably interesting and bound to serve up drama in the years to come, depending on how Disney sees the public domain versus how well the public sees it. You know what's interesting, though? So I would guess that Disney, even though Disney's all fun, you know, you go in Disney World, you're getting cotton candy, you're in the Mickey Mouse ears. I bet you they have the meanest lawyers ever. Oh, yes. They will come after They will destroy whoever (laughs) does this. And so Reese, I believe you you pronounce his name Reese, Reese Frake Waterfield, who directed the Winnie the Pooh movie, (laughs) he's on record as saying he's scared of, of Disney's lawyers and he would never go close to the Mickey Mouse character. So here's this guy who, I mean, poor Eeyore. Eeyore was eaten by the other <laughs> animals in his horror remake of Winnie the Pooh, and he's scared to go close to Mickey. I, I think that that tells you something. Right you there. know what's hilarious about these horror movies, which one of them I believe is called Mousetrap or something, and it's like got a Mickey no, Mouse Trap slasher. is the 90s movie where um, a little, oh, it's called Mouse Hunt. Never mind. Mousetrap's the game. <laughs> Mouse, Mousetrap <laughs> is, totally different is movie. a Mousetrap's a board game. <laughs> no, this movie, this slasher movie featuring Steamboat Willie Mickey is called Mousetrap. 
And what's hilarious about it to me is that the trailer debuted like two hours after 2024 started, which means they shot the entire movie knowing that it was going to enter the public domain <laughs> but, and then edited it and like made the movie. So they were ready for this moment. And then they put it out into the world that <laughs> they were going to be making it. Now, let me t- going back to Mouse Hunt. Let me, t- let me tell you something about Mouse Hunt. <laughs> so when I was younger, I actually used to watch Mouse Hunt a lot on VHS. Okay, so if you haven't seen it, which I'm assuming you have not, because you're uncultured in that way, uh, here's the here's the basic <laughs> okay, plot. Okay, wow. Here, here's the basic. Nathan Lane's in it. You know Nathan Lane? No. <laughs> Gosh, you're helpful. I don't know what to tell you. If you haven't seen Mouse Hunt. You don't know who Nathan Lane is. Should I'm I even Google continue? imaging it right now to try to so see? So anyway, Nathan, no, I've never I, I seen believe the plot. Before. Nathan Lane and his brother. I think they inherit like a mansion or something. And as they try to restore it in a very slapstick, hilarious way, uh, this mouse comes after them and uh, does a bunch of pranks. He's kind of like, honestly, he's like Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone, except he's a mouse. That's exactly what it is. I just realized it's Home Alone, but with a mouse. So 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's Home Alone, but with a mouse. (laughs) Jay, do you like to fish? Um, not really. I mean, I have, but it's been a really long time, and it's never really something that like I did and then thought, like, I really want to go do that again. Like, when's the next time I can go do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, surprise, surprise, I'm not a huge fish guy either. Uh, now, well, yeah, you don't like to touch I was going to say, fish. there are a couple reasons for that. <laughs> now, the biggest, like you just said, is probably uh, the, the biggest deal breaker is that I don't like to touch the fish or the bait. <laughs> so <laughs> that really leaves me with what you would call a problem <laughs> that I, yeah, uh, that's it's essential uh, to, not much left to, to there fishing. for you to do. You know, uh, the other thing is it just feels kind of boring. Like, I feel like if I was going to do something with my time, even if it's me and another person, there's at least 50 other things I'd like to do outside of fishing. There's no right. guarantee of success. I'm either. with you. Yeah, yeah. Get get out of here with fishing. But but like fishing or despise <laughs> fishing, Jay. One thing that's central to the fishing experience, like I just said, is the bait. And Jay, while this bait can be many things, it most often comes in the form of an earthworm. And believe it or not, earthworms have not always been in America. In fact, whether you give Christopher Columbus credit for discovering the New World or not, some historians say that settlers weren't the only ones discovering America in the late 1400s. America also welcomed bugs, bugs like the earthworm. Jay, when Europeans arrived in America, with them came the earthworm. And with the arrival of the worm, it started a reshaping of the structure of American soil, leading to the arrival of additional creatures and the extinction of others. In his book, 1493, Uncovering the New World Christopher Created, author Charles Mann quotes University of Minnesota biologist Cindy Hale on this, writing, Four centuries ago, we launched this gigantic, unplanned, ecological experiment. We have no idea what the long-term consequences will be, and in fact, we're still being surprised. And it wasn't just the earthworm, Jay, that was introduced. Mosquitoes, cockroaches, honeybees, all of these things sent the New World's ecological existence into a major shock. Places quickly became unrecognizable to the people who had lived there for centuries. And bugs, like the earthworm, destroyed entire crops and led to certain areas actually being all but abandoned. 
In fact, Jay, many historians, like biologist Harold Mooney from Stanford University, agree that the unintended parts of arrivals like that of Christopher Columbus still continue to reshape our planet today in unseen ways. Forest fungi have started to destroy mighty oak trees in California, for example, and they're being replaced by more fire-prone vegetation, leading to the higher chance of forest fires. And so really, what the earthworm and all of this can teach us is that us humans don't always know, or can't always control, the hidden forces that shape our very existence. And columnist F.D. Flam wrote about it for Bloomberg, saying that the discovery of America is just one glaring example of this. When Columbus first stepped foot in the New World, he couldn't have realized he would begin a reunion of ecosystems that had perhaps been separate for millions of years. Flam writes, And just as those effects are still being felt long after the 15th century, humans today are making decisions that will have repercussions for centuries to come. If we're honest with ourselves, we are the most destructive, invasive species of them all. And Jay, really, that kind of comes full circle back to the space littering segment. The American founders were probably actually worse litterers than we are today, wouldn't you think? Even though Mountain Dew didn't exist back then, so I'm sure we wouldn't have seen many Mountain Dew bottles. But had it existed, the bottles would have been there. This is what history is all about. It's full of stories of humans just introducing species into a place and thinking, what's the big deal? And then creating massive chaos and upsetting food chains and completely destroying the environment. Just makes you think, like, what are we doing right now that's messing up uh, something else? What are, what are we doing that's messing up space? It's going to have long-term consequences or something like that. Man, history is interesting. There's no wonder that you teach it. <laughs> I always, always tell people, like, when they, when they say, like, that, or when they find out that I'm a history teacher, they're always like, oh, man, I really love history. But they always say the same thing. They always say, like, I really hated it whenever I was a kid, but then I got older and realized how interesting it is. And I'm like, yeah, that's the battle I fight every day. I'm sure your students ignore you, but they really shouldn't. <laughs> they should be listening to you. <laughs> Hey, you never know what you had till it was gone. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Right in the middle of me doing that, you squirted this Gatorade I know, I try to see if I'm going to try to see if I'm going to make you mouth. laugh. <laughs> it made my I, I um, held it together, but it made my nose curl. I'm like, can I get him? <laughs> <laughs> you have a very gross drink too. Like normal people don't drink that way. Like, I need. Uh, you think LeBron drinks that way? I need like a bottle. personal trainer off screen, like squirting it into my mouth, like I'm an athlete or something. Like, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nasty. <laughs>